Hello and welcome back to Culture Bucket, the podcast that you tune into every week because it's the best podcast in the world. Uh, we discuss pop culture, um, uh, music, films, video games, books, anything is up for discussion, being broken down, put back together again and spat back out into the world with some opinions attached to it. That's what we do here at Culture Bucket. Today, we're doing top five romantic comedies. Yeah. Love is in the air. Mm-hmm. It's May, so we felt like it's time to do a romantic <laughs> episode. Uh, I'm your host, George. With me is your co-host, Alex. Hi, Alex. Hi, George. Hi, everyone. How are you, George? I'm good. Oh, no. good. I'm good. I'm, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm good. I've got energy today. I'm feeling ready to talk about um, films and video games and music and everything that we talk about. Awesome. It's going to be a big one. Yeah. And uh, yeah, how are you? I am good. Like you said, it's May. Feels good that it's May. Uh, yeah. And I'm uh, very excited about today. I do love a romantic comedy. Oh, good. Me, me too. Do you? <laughs> um, a bit. My list's probably going to be. Well, no, 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 no. No, my list is good. My list is good. But I don't want. I probably don't. I don't know. No, no, no my list is good. It's going to be fine. Um, are you? Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Okay. I just. I got a lot of blowback after my. Um, after the top five musicals episode, where I put Pitch Perfect in as a musical. And it is a musical, but I've heard from multiple sources people who don't understand what a musical is having a go at me. So um, what? I'm prepared to have blowback on some of my romantic comedy choices as well, but I'm going to stay strong because I know what's right and no one else does. That's how the world is. Well, I guess I guess it's all, you know, we before, before the episode started, we realised that we both put a film that is a... We both thought it was a romantic comedy, but it's not. So I think no, it's, it's more of a buddy comedy. It's called a it's a buddy comedy, but I thought it was like a bromantic comedy. It's like romantic, isn't it? Well, I think that they, I think that when it came out, maybe it, the the film is uh, "I Love You, Man." Yeah, because no point in hiding that. Uh, I think they said, I think it was sold as like a bromantic comedy. That might have been like the tagline or something. Um, and I guess, you know, if you wanted to, you could argue it was a romantic comedy, but uh, we might do a top five buddy movies in the future. So we're going to leave it uh, for that, to be to, to, to swim in that pool with those fish. This is Culture Catch-Up Time. This is where we talk about what we've watched, what we've read, what we've listened to, and probably some other stuff. Culture Catch-Up Time. I'm going to start by talking about some music, uh, an album. That came out uh, recently, uh, last Friday, which would be May the 7th, be with you. Um, 
The band is called Squid. Oh. And the... Oh, I know what you feel. I thought I was going to talk about. Yeah. I'd actually forgotten about that. Have you not listened to it? No, I've listened to it. It's fine. Ah, oh, because I've listened to it too. Oh, have you? Well, we'll talk about that next then. Okay, okay, okay. okay. okay but first okay. of all, Squid. <laughs> Squid. So yeah, Squid. Squid. May 7th, a band called Squid, Squid. a British band based in Brighton, uh, released their debut album, Bright Green Field. Um, They are a post-punk band in the vein of uh, a black midi or a black country new road, those sorts of bands that meld post-punk with kind of jazz um, ideas uh, to produce something a little bit new and a little bit different. They are a band that have been building steam for a a few years, I think, actually, a couple of years, but have yet to release an album. And you know me, Alex, I don't get involved until there's an album to listen to. Yeah. So uh, I've been kind of <laughs> eagerly... They've seemed like a band I'd enjoy and I've been eagerly awaiting uh, an album from them that I can check out. Hmm. And it came out, Bright Green Field. So I listened to it on Friday morning and the uh, within the first minute or so of the first proper song, I was pretty hooked and I listened to it in full and loved it on first listen. And I've listened to it probably four or five times since Friday and it's only Sunday now and I've liked it more and more of each listen it is absolutely a masterpiece it's an early contender for album of the year in my opinion I'm really really impressed by it and I just can't stop listening you know when you listen to an album yeah and you love it and you just it's the only thing you want to listen to Mm. every time you go to listen to music that's been this album for me uh this week and they're just great the vocals are very um, sort of talky in the way that Marky Smith from The Fall, it's kind of that type of thing, but it gets much more um, manic and wild than uh, some of the bands like uh, Black Country New Road tend to get. And uh, some of the sounds they make are completely, like it'll start with a very tra- seeming like quite a traditional song and then suddenly they'll find a groove and the singer will start repeating a phrase over and over again. Uh, like in one song, he just starts shouting, I'll play my part over and over and over again. And every time he says it, it gets better and better and it builds and builds and builds. And it is just fantastic. Uh, they've got a song called Boy Racers, which ends with about two minutes of just waves of synthesizer washing over you. It's great. Uh, so, yeah, I would really highly recommend the album Bright Green Field by Squid. To anyone that can listen to it, I have been loving it uh, for the past two days. To the point where I completely forgot that we should talk about the new album by one of my favourite bands, which also came out on the 7th of May, uh, Van Weezer, the new Weezer album. Uh, their ode to 80s hair metal and Van Halen, all of that stuff. You've listened to this, have you, Alex? Yeah, yeah, because I was, you know, I was getting ready for this episode and I thought, oh... <laughs> I need to get ready. You have spoken about it. And usually I'm like, no, I haven't listened to it, but I have this time. Nice. I've listened to it. I've listened to it two or three times. I listened to it once on Friday morning and then I put the Squid album on. And then all I wanted to listen to was Squid. <laughs> and then I was like, I should listen to some of that yeah. more, we- more, you know, of Van Weezer. So I've gone through it a couple of times. What do you think of it? It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad that you've, I'm glad you listened to it then so that you can participate. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> like if if uh, if somebody just uh, um, a music um, critic 
just like an article. New but it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's a, it's in a, it's it's an okay album. It's not their worst. Um, I no. I enjoyed how it started. I thought it went it, it, the start was really strong, but um yeah uh but I kind of start started losing interest uh a little bit um. It's only the, half an hour long. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So the first what well, the first two songs are quite I don't know that you know I think it started well and ended slow. Well, it ends on a ballad. Yeah. What? Oh my goodness. What? What? Would you? Can I have an opinion? Or do you have yeah, to? Yeah, you can be have like, an opinion. Oh well, it ends good. Good. It ends on a ballad, so it does end slow. Like I felt like it started strong and it didn't end as strong as it started. Is that what you want to hear? Yeah, that's probably a, that's probably a fair. So it's an criticism. okay album. Am I yeah, going yeah, to listen okay to it album. again? Probably not. No. Fair is enough. it their worst work? It... No. Is it their best work? No. Are they a good band? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> How does it compare to OK Human for you? Because that's uh, a very different I prefer sound. OK Human. Yeah, I think everyone prefers OK Human. Yeah. Which is interesting because this was the bigger, uh, in a way, because this was announced first, it's been longer coming. It got delayed like a year. Mm. Um, so people have been waiting for this album for ages. And it does do exactly what they, you know, threatened to do. They said it was going to be, have a lot of big guitar riffs on it and be an ode to 80s kind of hair metal. And that's exactly what it is. It's got a lot of, you know, it, one of the songs, I think the song Blue Dream opens with the exact riff from Crazy Train by Ozzy Osbourne to the point where it's, that song is credited in the um, songwriting credits for the Weezer song because they have literally just lifted uh, an Ozzy Osbourne riff. Um, and there's a couple of other points as well. There's a bit where they uh, kind of cover Island in the Sun for a moment. It's a very kind of self-referential album and a very kind of, you know, referencing other songs and stuff. It's a, uh, it's it is it's fine. It's absolutely fine. It's not going to set the world on fire. Uh, when I get to finally see Weezer live on the Hella Mega Tour, which is now going to be next year, uh, I'm sure the songs from this album will be really fun to see live. But uh, beyond that, it's not going to be. Uh, a top Weezer album, I don't think for mm. for many people. Yeah, but it's it's fun to hear. Is you know it is fun to hear Rivers Cuomo actually you know shredding his guitar a little bit for once rather than uh, leaning. You know he's leaning leaning a bit more into rock here than he has done in recent years, where he's gone very much into pop mm. songwriting. So that's nice. That's fine. But other than that, uh, listen to Bright Greenfield by Squid. It's much better. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. It's so, so good. Oh, I love it. Uh, the drummer is the singer in Squid. Imagine that. Yeah, that doesn't happen often, does it? A singing drummer. No? No. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, okay. A couple of video games then. A couple of new PS5 games have come out in the past couple of weeks to talk about. Uh, the first of them was a game called Returnal. Do you remember, Alex, Hades, that game? Yeah. And it's the game where you, when you die, you start all over again. Yeah. Returnal is another one of those. But this time, instead of being set in ancient Greek mythology, you are a uh, space astronaut lady called Selene. You crash land on the planet of Atropos at the start of the game. You leave your ship. You find a corpse. You roll a corpse over. Uh-oh, it's you. How can that be? The corpse, the corpse, which is you, has a gun next to it. You pick up the gun, 
you fight through hordes of aliens, eventually you die, and it all happens, and suddenly you wake up again on the ship that's crashed, and you go through it again, and basically every time you die, you start again in the same way as Hades over roguelike games. Um, you fight with various different weapons. It sort of pulls in another genre called Bullet Hell, which is a, a genre of game where the enemies will fire kind of waves of projectiles at you to move across the screen quite slowly, and the aim for you as the player is to dodge around them. So rather than in a Call of Duty or a Medal of Honor or like a first-person shooter, um, when they fight, when an enemy fires a gun at you, if you're in front of the enemy's gun, then you get hit. In this kind of game, the bullets move fairly slowly, and the challenge is that there are so many of them at once moving around them and dodging them is uh, is tricky. And uh, it's quite a fun game. It's the first kind of roguelike game because Hades was presented uh, from a top-down isometric perspective. It was all hand-drawn. It was an indie game. Um, this is very much a 3D, big-budget, huge PS5 graphics, um, you know, top-of-the-range AAA blockbuster game, and there's never been a roguelite game that's had a budget like this before so it's interesting in that respect but what's kind of disappointing about it is that do you remember i mentioned in hades every time you die you can talk to all the characters in the first area again and learn a little bit yeah. more about the the world and greek mythology in returnal because of the way they've kind of set the story up you're sort of the only character in the game so each time you die there's not really anything new to see mm. other than to try and get further into the game on that next run so there's less kind of exciting stuff to see there's a house uh occasionally you'll find a house that looks like a house on earth that you go through and weird little story things happen but i mean i've played about 16 hours of returnal i've only done the house thing about three times okay. so it's not exactly a big part of the game hmm. so it's okay but it's a 70 pound game and it's possibly not shouldn't necessarily be 70 pounds i wouldn't suggest that people pay full price for returnal i didn't pay full price for Eternal. i found a deal on ebay uh, and even then i feel like i probably paid slightly too much um the other game to talk about is the new resident evil game mm -hmm. resident evil village the eighth game in the series the second game or the eighth main game there's 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 so many resident evil games in total it's impossible to count them but it's the eighth like numbered game it's resident evil 8 village um it's the second one that's played from a first person perspective after resident evil 7 biohazard uh, Resident Evil 7 was inspired loosely by the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, so it was set in uh, um, the United States, and you kind of were going around the farmhouse. The Trevor family was this kind of mad, I guess, hillbilly family, you'd call them, that all turned out to be crazy Resident Evil monsters, and you had to fight them all and escape from their land, etc. In this game, you play as the same character, Ethan Winters, but the action has been moved from... Uh, southern america united states of america to europe somewhere and the inspiration this time rather than texas chainsaw massacre is sort of more traditional monsters monster movie kind of monsters so you the first big enemy you come across is a vampire called lady dimitrescu who's a nine foot tall vampire lady who has set the internet on fire but there's also a sort of um frankenstein guy there's a sort of weird living doll thing in there. There's like a hunchback Igor type character in there. It's all playing with those sorts of ideas, which is pretty cool. Um, it came out on Friday, so I haven't finished it yet or anything, but I've played probably about six hours of it so far, and I absolutely love it. I think it's 
one of the best Resident Evil games I've played, uh, based on what I've seen so far. I am preferring it to Resident Evil Seven, which was a really you know big popular game in the series. So it's it's good. I like it. People should play it. People should check it out. It isn't a full £70 game because it's out on PS4 as well, so it's about 50 quid in the UK at the moment, 55 quid, which is uh, a more sort of what you'd expect to pay for a, for a big game at the moment kind of price. And uh, yeah, it's good. Resident Evil Village. I, uh, I'm recommending it. I really like it. It's, um, it's fun. Good times. Yeah, good times. Okay, moving on to... Some films that I watched. It's been a little while since we've recorded, so I've watched a few films, but I'll try and talk about the the best ones. First of all, one I think you've seen as well, I watched the new Netflix animated family film, The Mitchells vs. The Machines. Yeah, I've seen it Yeah. So I watched it a couple of weeks ago. Um, It is a, well, it's a 2021 animated comedy directed by Mike Rianda who is uh, most well-known in the past for working on Gravity Falls, which is one of my favourite shows of all time. I really love Gravity Falls, so it's cool. Hmm. It stars Danny McBride, Abby Jacobson, Maya Rudolph, and Mike Rianda, the the director, is also a voice actor in it, and Olivia Colman are probably the sort of main actors in the film. And uh, it's about a family who uh, the daughter is going to go to film school. She loves technology and film and stuff like that and youtube the dad is much more of a nature guy he likes the outdoors and making things and being a a, a guy uh they have a big fight the evening before she goes to film school he breaks her laptop she's upset she she wants to leave to make to try and make up for it he makes the unusual choice to sell her plane tickets to film school and drive them across the country In a move quite reminiscent of another classic animated film, a goofy movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and the film, you know, then they go off on this road trip to take her to college. She's sad because she's going to miss uh, Freshers Week or whatever they call it in America. Um, but then the Apple stand-in, whose name I don't... Do you remember what the company's called in it? It's called like Plex, not Plex, uh, Pal. Pal. Yeah, Pal. I think Pal or something. Uh, they launch a new product, which turns out to be an apocalypse robot that uh, takes <laughs> over the world, and the Mitchells are the only humans left. Yeah. And can they save the world? That's the setup for the film. What did you think of it, Alex? Um, I I really I really enjoyed it. I um I enjoyed the animation. It's really different. It's kind of a yeah. Uh, computer generated drawn animation, which is really yeah, because cool. like it's. A- Produced by uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who did the Spider Verse animated film. Yeah, and it kind of it sort of plays with animation in a similar way to that film. Yeah, isn't it? I'd say, uh, and it also like it has tiny little touches of live action in there occasionally, yeah. and it will do other it will kind of mixes animation styles together, and then the main one, like you say, is this almost hand drawn version of CGI. Yeah. And, it, and it, it's, it's really, pretty beautiful. It's really fun and. Um, it's just the kind of the classic thing of uh, the parents not doing anything right and the kid being obnoxious and uh, annoying and then ending in a positive way. But um, I thought it was so beautiful to watch that it kind of it, it felt kind of innovative in a way because it's just really yeah. like an interesting way of uh, animating a film and uh, how... Um, 
also how they are totally in this century and they're all const constantly using the phones and the phones do everything and uh, this phone actually goes against them and uh yeah no i and and also it showed the struggle between now parents and children and parents are like not as technological as children or as their children and kind of maybe don't want that technology like the father that doesn't is not interested in technology but in but then in the end he sees the positive sides of it and also the negative sides of it but i i really i i thought it was really fun it was funny and good to watch and um i love when in in, in animation they do like uh, drawings as well so she's mm. doing her diary and her diary like is like all drawn and it's it's just nice. I really enjoyed it. It was good. Yeah. Did you like yeah, enjoy it? Good. I thought that it was a masterpiece. <laughs> I think it's one of the best animated films ever made. Wow. I loved it. It made me cry Aww. and laugh in equal measure. Oh. And I want to watch it again. Oh. When did you cry? Uh just at the ending, because it was just Everything worked out and it was <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, it was nice. great. It, oh, I yeah. loved it. The, the humour in it is on point because, mm. I mean, the, the director used to make Gravity Falls and it's got that same, just the jokes are so constant and it makes clever callbacks to itself all the time. Mm. It builds on, like, jokes build on each other. It gets weird when it needs to get weird. There's a sequence that involves Furby that is just <gasps> utterly the bizarre sequence with but Furby wonderful. Was so cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, it's just got funny little jokes in it, con like, constantly. Like, it's always prioritising being funny over making sense, which I always like, especially in an animated movie. Like you yeah. said, the way the, the different styles of animation are used are really, really clever. Um, and it's it's really good, and it never kind of like it never descends into like a lot of times these kind of films will be like right, we're gonna leave the comedy aside now in the third act. It's gonna be all action, and we're gonna we're gonna wrap it all up mm. in big action scene, etc. But this movie builds its big action sequence that finishes the film off around the fact that the ro robots can't tell whether the family's dog is a dog or a pig. <laughs> that is. <laughs> So all these yeah. crazy things happening. There's a big action sequence that is very well choreographed for, you know, it's a CGI film, but the action sequence is well done. Yeah. But in the middle of it all are just all these robots going, dog, pig, dog, pig, <laughs> loaf of bread, dog. And yeah. then uh, it's just, it, it just keeps up the humour all yeah. the time, which is quite, you know, impressive. Mm. There's a moment when they all the voice... the 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 mall. Yeah. And they're like, and everything explodes behind them and they leave like really yes. kind of like, like a cool family. No, it's, yeah, it's just good, man. Oh, and you've reminded me actually in that bit as well and throughout the film, the music in this movie mm. is incredible. Yeah. Um, I think it was done, I think the score was composed by Mark Mothersbaugh, who I think is the guy from Devo, who uh, did the For Ragnarok score and, uh, and has done a few film scores recently. And he's really, really good. And it uses, you know, when it uses licensed music, it does that really well also. Um, yeah, he is who I'm thinking of. Yeah. So, yeah, just, I loved it. I love this movie. Uh, everyone, if you're listening, you should watch The Mitchells versus The Machines. It doesn't matter what age you are. It's a good yeah, film. Definitely. And uh, it's, it's to be enjoyed by anyone. Especially George. That's... Oh, my God. I, oh, my God. I loved it. I loved it so much. How good is Olivia Coleman? 
Ah, Olivia Colman was really good. Uh, Olivia Colman plays the, the villain. The problem is they put me off at the beginning because like, oh, it's Olivia Colman. And then I had to kind of, and then it got better the more I got into the film because at the beginning I was just thinking about her. And Yeah, um, that's fair enough. Yeah, but I thought I thought Maya, Ru- Maya Rudolph was amazing as the mum. Maya Rudolph as the mum, is she's brilliant. Really Danny McBride as the dad is really good. Yeah. Abby Jacobson's really good. Uh, Eric Andre plays the sort of Steve Jobs um, stand-in character, the head of the tech company. He does mm. a pretty good performance. I think everyone's good in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, man, the Mitchells versus the Machines. This film originally, by the way, was meant to come out like right near the start of the pandemic. Mm. It was being advertised uh, in cinemas as a cinema film called Connected. And I remember seeing trailers for it and thinking, that looks rubbish like i thought it was like a real it was going to be a real like oh kids are on their phones too much and you should connect with nature more da, 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 that kind of film mm. whereas this movie has a much more nuanced message of technology is a good thing it can help enhance our lives yeah. but also we shouldn't rely on it completely yeah and we shouldn't forget you know the joys of nature and the mm. world and it we should you know it, our lives should be a blend of the two and not completely controlled by one or the other and uh, it's, it, it ultimately had a much more mature and thoughtful message behind it than I assumed it was going to when I first saw the trailers back in uh, late 2019. It took a long time for this film to come out. With it. It had, it, they changed the name of it, Netflix bought it, all of that. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. late 2019. <laughs> how, yeah, I know. how naive we were in late 2019. <laughs> I know, I was like... Being cynical about movies about the apocalypse, not realizing that the actual apocalypse was going to uh, stop me from seeing it. Never mind. Never mind. And we were actually um, connected because that's what happened. Yeah. We could only see our friends uh, through a screen. Yep. Uh, I watched a film. Okay, that was that's Mitchell's vs. Machines, the best the best film I've seen in my entire life. After that comes uh, Dead and Buried, a movie from 1981. It's a horror film directed by Gary Sherman, and it stars a few different people, but uh, the main character is played by James Farentino, and it also features, notably, an actor called Jack Albertson, and I will talk more about who he is in a minute. Uh, Dead and Buried is a film, it's a weird cult horror film. It feels like an episode of um, Creepshow or The Twilight Zone or something like that. It's a very small movie. It's set in a seaside village in America, and basically, people are being killed and disappearing and then reappearing alive again. And why is that happening? What's going on? Who knows? The sheriff's going to look into it. And uh, ultimately, what he discovers is going to be an awful twist. And that's the film. It's that kind of movie where it's like a good atmosphere, quite sinister, weird things are going on, and it has a cool twist at the end. And in it, and it kind of has everything you want in like a cult 80s horror movie. Um, the most notable thing to say about it is that the doctor of the town, who is in the movie a fair amount because he's kind of a big character, is played by Jack Albertson, who is Grandpa Joe from the 1970s Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory film. And he's like the main guy in it. He's like, he goes around the factory of Charlie. What is he? Well, this is from 1981. Ah, oh, sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I just for some reason I completely forgot that you said 1981. I thought, is yeah, he yeah. still alive? <laughs> no, no, no. He's long. He's long dead. Yeah. Um. R.I.P. Jack Albertson. I've never seen him. I've never knowingly seen him in another film. And the whole time I was watching this movie, I was like, who? I recognise that guy's voice. Who is it? And then it turns out it's Grandpa Joe. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. So, um, 
yeah, kind of a kind of a, a recommendation for Dead and Buried. I don't want to say too much more about it because it's the plots. You know, the, the less you know, the more fun it is. But uh, it's a fun time if you like kind of cult horror films. You check it out. After that, I watched from two thousand and eight a film I've been meaning to watch since our Coen Brothers episode because I've only seen it once and I barely remembered it and I didn't like it and I wanted to give it another try. Burn after reading. Ooh. Which you've seen, haven't you? Yeah, I have. Was it? In, was it? In, was it in your top five? No. 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 Um, it's a Coen Brothers movie. It stars Francis McDormand, George Clooney, Tilda Swinton, Brad Pitt, John Malkovich, Richard Jenkins, J.K. Simmons. It's got like the biggest cast they've ever put together, I think. Um, and it's one of their, it's like the ultimate version of a, of a Coen Brothers movie where events will spiral out of control and no one can understand why. The movie literally ends with a character being like, what, how did, how did this happen? And they just are like, I don't know. <laughs> and then it just and then the film kind of just ends, yeah. which is great. Um it's hard to even say what the plot is. <laughs> John Malkovich plays a CIA analyst who gets fired at the start start of the movie and decides to write his memoirs. Yeah. George Clooney plays um a marshal who is building something in his basement. Yeah. <laughs> uh Tilda Swinton plays John Malkovich's wife who uh, is having an affair with George Clooney. I feel like I don't want to just describe her character in relation to the male characters, but I don't remember. I think that's sort of how the movie treats her. Mm. Um, Francis McDormand, the, the, the great Francis McDormand, plays um, a lady that works in a gym yeah. and wants to have a bunch of cosmetic surgery done <laughs> to uh, yeah. be- for some unknown reason. Her co-worker, Brad Pitt, yeah. wants to help her achieve this goal. I don't quite know why. Brad Pitt is in the dumbest <laughs> role he's ever been in. Like, he's yeah, so par- apparently when, when he read the script, he, he read the script and he said to one of the Coen brothers, like, I don't know if I can play this stupid. And the Coen brothers just looked at him and went, you'll be all right, <laughs> which is sort of... <laughs> A bit of a, an insult on Brad Pitt. Because I love but he Brad is perfect. Pitt in that film. Like, oh, I, I love, love Brad him, Pitt. Because yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I wanted to put it on my top five, but because I've seen it so, so long ago, I knew I loved it, but I wasn't really sure why because I was trying to read about it and I was like, I don't, I don't remember everything. So, but I'm glad you're talking about it today because it's a great film. It's such a good, like, I, I think the first time I watched it, was right in the height of the Big Lebowski being my favourite film. Yeah. And I had like sky high expectations for any new Coen Brothers movie. I think because it's not as good as the Big Lebowski, I kind of just wrote it off or something. Yeah. I don't I don't quite know. But I didn't give it a fair go. But this time I watched it and I laughed probably about once a minute for the yeah. entire time it's of the film. So it funny. is such a funny movie. And like um, Frances McDormand is also pretty dumb in this film. Like Oh God, like... yeah, she is I mean the pair of them t- it it's kind of like in the way that in the way that the Big Lebowski is a film noir film where the main character doesn't understand what's going on. Yeah. Burn After Reading is a spy thriller where the main <laughs> character doesn't understand what's going on and just stumbles through nonsense <laughs> until eventually it all just comes crumbling down. The scene when they're in the car, at Brad Pitt and um John Malkovich. Oh and they, yeah. And he was trying to like um I can't remember exactly, but I th- I remember that scene being hilarious, of them trying to him trying to because John Malkovich is looking for uh, a CD with something like important information that he left. Well, at the John gym. John Malkovich doesn't even really realize what is that there's a CD. He's just yeah yeah. Brad Pitt has phoned him up and told him about this CD and was able to quote stuff off it that made John Malkovich want it back, but he doesn't quite understand what's going on. 
And then Brad Pitt is trying to extort money out of him, but doesn't yeah. really know how to do that. And then John Malkovich just ends up punching Brad Pitt in the face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then uh, pushing him out of the car and driving off. And then Francis McDormand turns up and there's like a little mini car chase. It is very funny. Yeah. Um. And then and then Francis McDormand like goes storming into the Russian embassy. It's a it's a it's a great great yeah. film. Uh, it's on Netflix in the UK. If you haven't seen it, um, because it is kind of a lesser Cohen movie in terms of its popularity. Mm. Uh, watch it. Um, I I can't recommend it enough. George Clooney as well is needs to be said is so funny in this movie. <laughs> like, in his introduction, he's in some he's in a dinner party the first time you see his character, and there's these uh, little. Um, what do you call them? Like uh, volivons or like you know, like things to eat on trays or whatever. And it's like a little cracker with some cheese on it. And he's like, "Is that because I'm lactose intolerant and I don't know if I can?" And somebody's like, "It's goat cheese." And he's like, "Ah, oh, I can eat goat cheese." And he picks it up and he sort of like tries to eat it. And he ends up just like pouring it all, like spilling it all down his front. And is it this fancy dinner? It's just so good. Ah, uh, it's yeah, it's a great movie. It's really, really funny. Glad I watched it. Recommend to anyone. Okay, next up. Um, 2001 film Frailty, starring Bill Paxton and Matthew McConaughey and Powers Booth, directed by Bill Paxton, the sadly departed Bill Paxton, rest in peace. This movie is a thriller. Stephen King described it as the best horror film of 2001. I've wanted to see it for a while, and it's been completely unavailable until suddenly this week it turned up on Amazon Video uh, to rent, so I had to rent it. I think it was like £3.50, but uh, it was worth that because it is really fascinatingly strange um, and it's a very unknown film, so I'd recommend people check it out. It's about a family. They live in uh, America somewhere, in like this, in Texas, actually. They live in Texas, in kind of the middle of nowhere sort of area. It's a single dad and his two sons who are both about maybe like 9 and 11, that kind of age. And the dad decides one day, he comes into the kids and he says, Kids, I've, been, I've had a vision from God. God has spoken to me. He's told me the apocalypse is coming. Demons are going to take over the world. And it is our job to kill the demons. And he's going to send me free weapons so that I can fight the demons. And you're going to help me. And then, it, and then there's a few other scenes. And the, the, the younger son is like, ah, oh, cool. And the older son is like, I don't, dad, that sounds weird. <laughs> and, um, and then it, there's a scene of Bill Paxton, the dad character, is driving along. And he sees this barn. And there's a, there's a light from the sun is shining on the barn. And he goes over to it and he finds an axe and some gloves and he decides that these are the weapons that God has sent him. And he kind of... Basically, he's a, he's a psychotic killer man and he starts kidnapping people and insisting they're demons and killing them in front of his children. It's quite a dark film. Um, but it has... It's, it's kind of great. Like, it's very... It's a small movie. Uh, Matthew McConaughey is also in it. Um, playing uh, some of it's in flashback and some of it's in present day. So Matthew McConaughey plays the one of the sons as an adult and he's kind of describing to somebody what, you know, what happened to him when he was a kid. Um, it's, it's, it's a serial killer movie. It's a thriller, um, but a very, very dark one, as you can see from the plot I've just described. Uh, but it's very well directed by Bill Paxton. It feels very strange and, and interesting and weird and you never quite know whether what the dad is saying is happening is actually happening in the world of the film or whether he's just crazy. And um, it's a good, it's a good film. It's a weird, strange, paranoid movie. Uh, and I enjoyed it. It's quite hard to watch, but if you can check it out, you should check it out. Next up, we've got from 2018, a film called The Perfection, 
directed by Richard Shepard, starring Alison Williams, Logan Browning, and Stephen Webber. Alison Williams played the girlfriend in Get Out. You know that actress, Alex? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she stars in this movie. It's a Netflix film, so it's very, very readily available. She plays a uh, character who is a cellist. She was living in this um, kind of live-in music academy in America, uh, but her mum got sick, so she had to leave, and she spent the past decade looking after her mum, who passes away at the start of the movie. So she reconnects with the owner of the school, played by Stephen Webber, uh, and meets up with him in China, where she is introduced to the new sort of top student at the school, played by Logan Browning. Uh, They very quickly connect and hit it off and decide to go travelling together around China. And then on a bus through China, one, uh, one of the characters starts feeling unwell and it all spirals out of control from there in a way that I don't want to describe much further because it is... um. It is a fantastic psychological thriller. Oh, well, it's had some actually quite sniffy reviews, so your mileage might vary, but I, I really enjoyed this film. It kind of it has quite a few little twists and turns to it. It definitely probably thinks it's more clever than it is, but it is an enjoyable, fun ride. It goes really over the top and, and crazy, like one of the last shots of the film is completely bonkers and doesn't actually almost doesn't make sense of in the context of the movie. But is 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 wild enough that you just sort of go with it. Um, so yeah, I I liked this film quite a bit. Uh, the perfection, um, and would recommend people check it out. It's a good psychological thriller on Netflix. Give it a go. The final one to talk about is a 1971 film. It's a Jallo film, Alex. A Jallo. A Jallo. Directed by Dario Argento, his follow-up to The Bird of the Crystal Plumage, and oh, it is wow. called Il Gatto. A nove code. Ah, il gatto nove code. The cat What's has got mean? nine tails. Yes, the cat and nine tails. Has it got um, nine tails it... or nine lives? <gasps> well. <laughs> Sorry. Do you know what a cat and nine tails is? No. It's a naval whip that was used uh, ah, once upon yes. a time that has oh, like. It's... Yes, 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 yes. Sorry, yeah. I wasn't thinking but about in... that. Yeah. No, it's fine. In the context of this film, it's that uh, the characters, because as with um, a lot of Jallo movies, if there's a murder and someone decides that they're going to investigate, in this film it is, it's never the police, interestingly. <laughs> like, these movies never follow the police investigating a murder. It's always somebody else who decides it's their job to investigate the murder. So in this movie it is a news reporter and a blind man, um, which is quite interesting. And they at one point they realise they have nine suspects or nine leads or something, and they go, oh, it's like a cat of nine tails, hence the title of the film. Um, it, I think it came out quite soon after The Bird of the Crystal Plumage, because I think after the success, the success of that film, his debut, Dario Argento was very quickly greenlit to make another one. Uh, so he followed it up with uh, The Cat and Nine Tails. It's about a... Um, how to describe it best there is a sort of science lab place uh some people from it are being killed uh there is some research done there that shows um basically the film hinges on this idea that if you have an xxy chromosome it means you're more likely to be a criminal <laughs> which is uh okay not uh not true <laughs> but um 
at this at the point when the film was made or something there was research that uh, said that um yeah i don't know but anyway there's this lab that's doing this uh, research uh somebody gets killed they just try and decide the this reporter uh, and the blind man decide to look into it and find out what's going on and then it kind of you know a few more people get killed uh they're trying to f- uh, follow in the clues it's a classic jallo type of story and uh, it's a fun one i really enjoyed it so the cat nine tails is uh to be watched by anyone who is into 1970s Italian thrillers like me. Nice. Nice. So there we go. That's my culture catch-up. I watched a few movies, played some games, listened to some squid. Nice. <laughs> cool. Lovely. What have you been up to? So, yeah. So uh, two things that I've been up to, uh, we already talked about. I listened to the Weezer album, uh, Van Weezer, and I watched uh, the Mitchells vs. The Machine. Um, so um, uh, I started listening to uh, Dissect, uh, which is, a, we've talked about this podcast before, and is a podcast where uh, the presenter uh, talks about uh, an album and uh, he talks about so talks about a song by song, um, the the artist's life, uh, and also it says note by note. So it just he he just talks about it. And I finally got to listen to um, the the one he has done for um, because the internet, which is 2013's um, Childish Gambino album. And mm. um, what I, I didn't realize, the childish Gambino just went through a bit of a of a of a crisis, well, of a kind of low moment uh, before he released this album, and uh, in a way, that's why this album is like this. And in a way, um, so I've been listening, and usually what I do with uh, with um, dissect, I binge it and then I listen to the album load. But this uh, yeah. this this series of dissect. Um, I listened to a few of the episodes. I listened to maybe seven or eight, so quite a lot yeah. of the series. But um, I felt that maybe what Childish Gambino was trying to do with this album wasn't so much of giving it a, um, a, a meaning, but it was mainly you create your own meaning with this album and the meaning that he put in, that's what he, the, what he thought Childish Gambino, but whatever you grab from this album is up to you and so when I, once I arrived to episode seven or eight I can't remember I was just like oh but I, I just I was just really wanting to listen to the album and not listen mm. to Cole Kushner so um I, I, of course it's a good series uh, dissect is an incredible concept um and i i love it because it explains albums um in an amazing way and i've learned that uh this album has got also a, sc- a screenplay um and it's got loads of like uh different things uh you can go and uh it's got lots of videos attached to it so i learned a lot around the album but after a while i was like i want i just want to listen to the album and uh wow. so this week i listened to the album and it's so it was never my favorite one of my favorites but it's so good like knowing a little bit more about the album and kind of f- figure it, like realizing that i think childish gambino wanted wanted to create a concept album with lots of like different media around it, uh, be it a screenplay, videos, um, photos, uh, actual 
actual there's an actual room there's the room of the kid in the in the screenplay and you can go to New York and see it so he wanted to create like a, a world and although Cole Kushner is amazing I think the world that he wanted to create was up to you to decide what the world was because there's so many meanings in the album and so many things and so I listened to the album uh, again and, and it's just amazing I don't know I, I didn't I like I said before it's not my favorite album but I think it has become top one of my top childish Gambino's album because the dissector helped me real uh, helped me understand where childish Gambino was coming from before doing the album yeah uh and then listening to our album it just feels a little bit more um it makes more sense because it's a very random album i don't know if you if you have if you listen to it um no a little bit i know you're not a big fan but um i would recommend listening to it and um and enjoying the album and i love just childish gabino so i love him even more yeah good Good. Uh, and then uh, before we started, you asked me what song I was singing, and uh, I was singing a song of a of a, uh, another album I listened to this week. When I finally managed to detach myself from, uh, because uh, the internet and um, uh, it's a part of my Spotify tells me to listen, and I listened to it uh, segment. <laughs> and uh, yeah so they say oh if you listen to uh, this uh, you're going to enjoy um, this band and so um, I listened to an album called Ginger by a band called Brockhampton oh right yeah yeah okay yeah um, never heard of them before Um, I know I knew a few songs from Ginger through TikTok I think TikTok is amazing for for artists that you can just so I knew a couple of songs from it and Brockhampton is a uh, American hip hop music collective, um, which have been they together. They call themselves a, a boy band. Don't yeah, they? yeah, and they call themselves a boy band, and they're and I've saw I've seen a couple of uh, videos on on YouTube of them performing, and they are a hip hop boy band, which is random, uh, mm. and uh, they they've been around since um, uh, twenty ten. Mm-hmm. And this album, Ginger, came after one of the members got uh, sacked from the band. Um, I have no experience of Brockhampton before, but um, listening to this, not knowing who they were, um, I thought at one point while I was listening, I was I looked at the at the Spotify and because I thought it was a collection of songs because it was so mismatched. So this album is just everywhere. Um, it doesn't feel right. like an album. It feels like a... <clears throat> like a collections of so- a collection of songs but right, yeah, yeah. i li- i liked the randomness of it uh, i thought it was good every song seems to have a different singer and hasn't got the same style and um, pitchfork kind of uh, bashed them for that but i think it's quite i don't know i think it's quite brave for for a for a for a collective to just create an album and put their own input in the in the songs i think um so i kind of enjoyed it um yeah i, I thought it was an interesting album is a is an interesting concept to have a hip-hop boy band and uh mm. it's good to have a hip-hop boy do, you know, band. do you know how they met and got together no they all met on a kanye west message board <laughs> on the internet <laughs> no, and then sort of really? formed 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's which is why they're such an eclectic group. Yeah. Of um, you know, different kind of backgrounds, which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Listen, I think I think I might be wrong because I haven't listened to them much uh, in a while. But uh, was it Kevin Abstract? I think was the member that got uh sacked. And I think he was. They didn't have a front man, but I think he was kind of the most prominent member vocally on their earlier work. And I think that might be why on their more recent stuff they mix up the vocalists so much um, since losing him. I think that that's my understanding anyway. That's what I thought was the case. Yeah, uh, his name is Amir Van. Amir Van. Yeah, and okay. he was he was the best rapper and kind of the front man. I think, but anyway. Oh, Kevin. So Kevin Astra Abstract is still in the band. Yeah. So my mistake. Amir Van is the guy that got kicked yeah, off. Yeah, but apparently he was the kind of like, yeah. The, yeah, he the was main. the the sort of main guy. Yeah, yeah, but I I I enjoyed it. Um, I liked. Uh, it was interesting to finally put a face to some songs I hear on TikTok. Um, and yeah, they're they're good. They're they're a good uh, band. And I only have a couple of films to talk about. Uh, so I watched uh, 17 Years Late. I watched a film uh, called Lost in Translation, which is a romantic comedy, but it's not a comedy at all. It's a kind of drama, <laughs> uh, which is directed by Sofia Coppola. And it stars uh, Bill uh, Murray and um, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, Giovanni Ribisi for a little bit uh, but every time I see him I get freaked out because he's a Scientologist um, and uh, yeah so it's about this um, this uh, actor who is um, kind of you know unfulfilled a bit older and he's in Japan to um, make um, do a, a whiskey commercial Mm. And Scarlett Johansson is also in Tokyo uh, with her husband, Giovanni Ribisi, who is a photographer. And um, they're both uh, two lonely people in uh, maybe not fulfilling relationships uh, lost in uh, Tokyo. And um, I I wish I saw this film in 2003 um, because uh, unfortunately I didn't really... I didn't really like it. It was okay. Uh, it's not like the worst film I've seen, but it wasn't as great as I was expecting it to be. Um, no. So I. What wish... made you decide to check it out? Well, it's because um, a female director just won um, an Oscar, and Sofia Coppola oh, okay. won the Oscar for this, and I thought I'll watch it because you know I've uh, I thought I would enjoy it, but I. I didn't at all. Like, it was okay. I don't think it's a really bad film because there were some bits that were really cool. Like, there's a scene where they're in the karaoke bar and I really like that because it's just that that's definitely a night in Japan. Um, yeah. But um, I didn't get how they would be attracted to each other in a way. Um, I just, I just didn't, I just, I just wish I watched it when it came out because I think I probably maybe I would have enjoyed it more. But maybe after living in Japan and actually not thinking that, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I didn't, I, I wish I watched it before. That's all. I don't, no, I don't have weird, weird negative things 
to say I don't have positive, extremely positive things. It was an okay film. Yeah, I I think the best moment is the ending when um, they meet when he gets off the tax get out gets out of the taxi and yeah. um and then he whispers something i thought that was really sweet that was a really sweet moment but then you think how on earth in tokyo you're going to find somebody someone like that but <laughs> <laughs> it's fine it's fine um yeah and also just felt a bit like <laughs> privileged people feeling i don't know I, don't know, just, I think that's definitely a fair criticism of it. Yeah, it's just like privileged people feeling sorry for themselves, and you go, "You're yeah. you're both staying in a frigging five star hotel in Tokyo. You have no money problems, and you're feeling sorry for yourself." Well, and and your wife is pretty much telling you you could do anything you want, and she's just asking you to. I don't know, and and I didn't, I didn't really, re I didn't really get why he would sleep with a singer. Like, at one point, he sleeps with a random singer. Right. It's like, why? Why Why would you put that there? I don't know. It's just, I just, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah, I didn't. Nope. Um, uh, yeah, and then another film I uh, barely didn't enjoy. Uh, I, because, <laughs> uh, because I watched, uh, uh, the Kissing Booth 1 I had to watch The Kissing Booth 2 you know it's just something that I'm drawn to to watch like coming of age comedies and uh, again it's I need to find who it stars um, I think it's Joey King yeah Joey King yeah uh, I think I had I thought I had it yeah, uh, so it's a sequel of uh, the American teen romantic comedy, The Kissing Booth One, and it stars uh, Joey King, Joel Courtney, and Jacob, uh, Jacob Elordi. And mm. it came out last year in uh, 2020. And um, it received generally negative cr uh, reviews from critics, but not from children. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and right. it's uh, there's going to be a third installment, so it must be successful. And uh, in this, oh, I think one, they're like some of the biggest films on Netflix. The Kissing yeah, Booth, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, it was it was a it was a how long is it? Uh, I think it's an hour and a half or something. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's like two hours. No bloody hell! It is long. It was long actually. Yeah, it's nearly two hours. It's like a two-hour right. film, and uh, basically Joey King and Jacob Elordi are together. She's uh, last year in her school, and Jacob has gone to college, and they're going to try and have a long-distance relationship. Uh, stuff happens. Uh, if you're an adult, don't watch it. I don't know why but I did. Did you like the first one? I thought the first one was sweet enough. I thought it was okay. Like, so what's uh, lost between that one and this one? Oh, it's just because. Um, well, basically, they the the reason that Joey King, Joey King, and Jacob Elordi are having issues is because they're not talking to each other, and I guess it's normal for teenagers not talking to each other. Um, I don't know. I just 
I think the first one was sweet and is just, you know, teenagers being teenagers and being at school. But now that the college bit has arrived, it gets a little bit more complicated. And he also, um, I, I knew that Jacob Elordi was uh, filming um, Euphoria, so wasn't really happy to be in this film. And you can kind of see it, that he's not very happy to be in this right. film. So it's kind of, um, and they are grown people now. They're like 30 or something <laughs> and they're playing teenagers. And I don't know, it gets a little bit more uh, weirder. But yeah, if you want two hours of like nonsense and drama between kids, uh, watch The Kissing Booth 2. If you don't care, don't watch The Kissing Booth 2. Um, Good advice. It, it's... Uh, it's pretty rubbish, um, but I'm st I'm still gonna watch Kissing Booth three because that's what I do, and uh, yeah, it's Well, I think Kissing Booth two was better than I expected, but it is two hours of stuff. Mm. Yeah, and uh, that's it for me. My culture catch up, uh, and yeah. For the MyTube section, uh, because it's been a week of uh, of Childish Gambino, I'm I would like you to watch a video called Sweatpants from um, the album um, because the internet and the actual. Um, the song is called Sweatpants, and uh, from what I heard on Dissect, he kind of talks about how sweatpants are supposed to be things that you are you wear inside, but now people, wealthy people, go to like restaurants, uh, in sweatpants, and um, you know, depending on who you are, if you're like a, a you know white privileged person, you can go to in in a place with sweatpants but a lot of a lot of places in america if you wear baggy clothes they won't allow you in but it's also a kind of you know race thing because who wears baggy clothes and yeah but it's 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 a cool video um okay. but yeah when have you have you received it yep i'm gonna press play on it cool now what do you think yeah that was a good video i liked it uh, so it's about, I don't know. <laughs> oh, shut up. Sorry. Uh, so it's set in a diner, like you said, and it features Childish Gambino walking into his diner and playing, performing the song. And then it gets quite, it, it confused me because he, he turns around and then, and then the scene plays out again. Mm. 
Yeah. But some of the people have become him watching him and then it and then it happens a third time and everyone in the diner is childish gambino yeah and he does this same walk through the uh through the diner each time and then suddenly for the last minute of the video it just turns into something else completely yeah so have you listened to the, the dissect about that song yeah and what is the what's their take on on that video uh well it's kind of all in a in a loop and kind of how like things go um, around, and then what was it about? Is was mainly like about um, how well it's kind of like a. In, it starts with like a really like braggadocious kind of bit, and yeah. talks about like having sex, and then when when it talks about the family name, I don't know. It oh, there's yeah. a lot of meaning in it, and it's just. Um, yeah, if you listen to the episode on sweatpants, that's pretty interesting. But I thought it was yeah, but really it cool. The only other video I've seen, I think, from the album is for a song. Is there a song called 3000 or Year 3000 or something? 3005, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I think I've seen the video for that song, mm. but it wasn't as memorable as uh, as mm. the sweatpants video. So no, mm. that was good. Thank you very much cool. for sharing. Sit down at the back and be quiet and get out your because it's time to discuss your homework now. So, last week was top five thrillers. So our homework was uh, I had to watch A Double Indemnity and Alex had to watch Kill List. Yeah. So uh, I'm starting. Yeah. So I watched Double Indemnity, a 1944 film noir. Apparently, some say the first film noir. Oh, yeah, yeah, could be. Directed by Billy Wilder, starring Barbara Stanwyck, Fred McMurray and Edward G. Robinson. Uh, it is about a insurance salesman, Walter Neff, who uh, goes to a client's house to renew some car insurance leases and uh, meets a beautiful woman played by Barbara Stanwyck mm-hmm. called, sorry, what's her name? Beautiful woman played by Barbara Stanwyck called Phyllis Dietrichson. Um, and in the way that happens in uh, films, particularly films like this, uh, they basically fall in love immediately. Mm-hmm. And, or at least he falls in love with her immediately and decides that they want to be together. But unfortunately, she's married to uh, Mr. Dietrichson. So they hatch a plot to get rid of Mr. Dietrichson, get rich off some life insurance or accident insurance and uh, live happily forever after. But on account of this being a film noir movie and also on account of the fact that it opens at the end of the film with the main character explaining what happened and telling you that there's been a murder, etc., uh, etc., et um, it all goes horribly wrong. And uh, no one really gets out of it in any positive <laughs> state. No. Which is um, almost unusual, I think. It was probably, I think it was quite controversial at the time, in a way, mm. for how sort of dark uh, the story is, because it it really doesn't let anyone off lightly in this uh, in this film. Um, I haven't watched many 
uh, early thrillers like this. I haven't watched many film noir films. In fact, I couldn't really think of another one other than some early Hitchcock uh, that you could really describe uh, as being similar to Double Indemnity. So it was a new type of film for me. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. I'm glad that you recommended it. Uh, The acting is uh, really fun in it. The lines, like you said, they speak incredibly quickly to each other in the in the way that they did in films of this uh of this era but it's it's really well written and it really holds together really well and i think the kind of the best thing in it is probably edward g robinson as the kind of boss in the insurance mm. agency or at least the chief investigator who talks a lot about having a little man in his stomach that warns him when something doesn't feel right yeah and the whole film is kind of a push and pull between walter neff trying to get away with this uh crime and uh trying to get one over on his boss, Mr. Keys, uh, and trick him into allowing the insurance to go through. And uh, that's kind of the crux of the movie is those two going at it. And it's good. It's really fun and entertaining, and it doesn't need to be a big kind of flashy action film sort of thing. It's happy. You know, it works for when in the air it was made. It doesn't try mm. to do more than it should kind of thing. And uh, no, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I thought it was a really fun time. Uh, and Barbara Stanwyck is great in it. Mm. She's incredibly beautiful, as yeah. you would expect. Yeah. And um, it's, just got, it's just got really fun little scenes of like people hiding behind doors as somebody else who shouldn't see them is there yeah. and sneaking about. And um, yeah, no, it's good. It's a fun movie. Good. Why did you, out of interest, why did you watch it for the first time? Uh, I watched it uh, at uni for the first time as uh, mm. one uh, we're doing like a, a a film noir time so I watched uh, Casablanca um, that and uh, the Maltese Falcon and so um, yeah and I really I really really enjoyed that one and I watched it again like a few years later and I think it's really good I think it's a very good example of um, film noir and how 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 different they were at the time and how things have changed in cinema but that's kind of the start of it and um, yeah mm. i thought it was good 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 well, I'm glad yeah you that's it, it. yeah good. thank you good recommendation yeah, i'm glad you enjoyed should i watch it, so. um oh, casablanca or what was the other one you said the maltese falcon yeah definitely maltese falcon definitely casablanca i i guess yeah it's a good film Casablanca. Cool. I did, I did, the problem with Casablanca, I didn't really understand what the plot was when I watched it. Right. Like it's an interesting film. I just don't really understand why things happen a certain mm. way. But um, Maltese right. Falcon is really cool. It's a really okay. good film. Um, nice. Casablanca, I would watch it just because it's Casablanca, because it's you know <laughs> it's basically a cold one, film. So. Yeah, one of those sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Iconic movies. Yeah, fair Iconic. enough. Yes. Uh, cool. So, well, I'm going to talk about Kill List. Um, so very different uh, film. Yeah, it's a very different film. So, Kill List is a 2011 British psychological horror crime film, or in uh, one word, a thriller, uh, directed yeah. by uh, Ben uh, Wheatley. Mm. And it stars uh, Neil Maskell, Mayanna Burring, and uh, Michael Smiley, and mm. an amazing actress with the weirdest face, Emma Fryer, as yeah. Fiona. Probably my favorite character 
in this film. Uh, so, um, what is this film about? Uh, Jay and Gal, uh, played by uh, Neil Maskell and uh, Michael Smiley are uh, soldiers, were soldiers, um, mm. who, uh, after leaving the military, they become hitmen. But you don't really, f you don't find out that until a while into the film. Mm. Um, and um, Gal is uh, kind of relaxed and laid back and, religious um jay is angry and uh probably suffers from PT ptsd even though it doesn't state that and he mm. is uh married um and has got a, a child and they seem to be living in a like kind of suburban life and uh, they uh, get a job uh and um which uh, the kill list they have to kill three people, uh, but uh, this job kind of uh, becomes weirder and uh, spirals out of control until um, everything just uh, ends in uh, the weirdest ending and most kind of uh, maybe heart heart-wrenching moments i don't know it was the ending is ridiculous it's just terrible um but yeah um the film is really the film makes no sense however it doesn't matter because it's so <laughs> like from from the start it starts with um jay and his wife arguing about money i think i think there's like mm -hmm. a really uh bad argument from the beginning so there's it already starts in a very sinister way yeah and the more the film goes on the more sinister it gets and the more violent and creepy and scary and although things that happen you go why why is this happening it doesn't matter because you're so freaked out by everything and yeah. everyone so a uh, gal they, they have a dinner party where gal brings his new girlfriend fiona and uh she's the weirdest <laughs> i don't think she looks that weird outside the film because i was looking at photos she looks pretty normal i don't know what they did in the film but they made her look super weird and make made her talk in such a way that she was so Freaky. She's very intense, she, isn't she? Yeah, and and this film goes from being um, having a really intense moment of people actually screaming at each other to total fineness. Everything is fine, like nothing happened the scene before, and it's it's just an up and down and a roller coaster of emotions, and um, it, it's just it's it's a good film i really i really enjoyed it uh and it kind of uh, i really didn't know testament. which way you were gonna go it puts testament to what i said that like for example for me for me the invitation made no sense yeah. and it was a bad film because it didn't even give me anything else this film made no sense but it's a great film because i was i was on edge for the entire hour and a half 
And I yeah. didn't know where it was going to go. I didn't know what it was going to do. I didn't imagine it would end like that. No, you would. There's no way you could predict the what, way. It's what, what were these people doing? Why they were everywhere? It's like nobody was moving, but everybody was there. How did they find? It was just bizarre. You don't. You don't even know. Uh, but no, I, I thought. I, I thought. I thought it was great. It did what it was supposed to do. Um, it, it scared me. It made me want to vomit at one point when he gets. At one point, he, he's really angry with this guy. Um, Jay. The hammer I scene. Think. Yeah, the hammer scene is horrific. Yeah, it's and horrible. And Jay cannot contain his emotions. He's a very visceral angry human being but i think it comes from the ptsd but you assume it's ptsd you don't know if it's ptsd you just yeah. go well this guy must be like this because of ptsd it must be <laughs> yeah. and uh um and it's 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 good it's a it's a good film it's got very bad reviews like i've it hasn't got great reviews um but i think it's because it if you think about the plot nothing really makes sense but what i liked was at the end when he finds out who he has killed it's, yeah. and the person smiles you go oh as this person what does been, that mean has this person been in it the entire time yeah has it been like all uh and so i i, I you know it comes full circle and you go oh okay so yeah, no, I thought I thought it was a good thriller. Uh, I thought it was is uh, it didn't really have any twists as it it, it was a spiral. It was a constant <laughs> spiral. I don't think it had twists. It was just like no, yeah. I mean, I guess you, you, I mean you could call the final reveal a twist, but I I think you're but right I, that it's sort of how the could whole it be a twist? Just... Because at the end, it's like oh. Is it like where did we start? Where did we end? Where where is this going? What's happening? How do they know well, him? I think uh, I I like that it's because I mean what because there is like almost a second film that we don't see of what is actually happening over the top of his life. Do you see what I mean? Mm, and like yeah. there's that like at the dinner party scene you mentioned. There's a scene. There's a bit where Fiona goes upstairs into their bathroom and she does something. And I think that's the yeah. first point in the movie where there's a sign that maybe this is more than just a, an, a, a, a filler about two hitmen and there might be something yeah, more to it. And then from that point on, it just, yeah, like you say, it spirals further and further until yeah. the ending is just, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> can't be, can't be But this is a film, like I said before, like this is a film that, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't need much explanation and you don't need that. There, there are some violent bits, but it's a pretty slow burner. Like it's not like it's go, go, go. And no. it's, um, it, and it doesn't matter. And it, it creates tension with the music and with, the people and the intensity of the characters is such an intense film. It's like an hour and a half of like, even when nothing is happening, you go, Oh God, what's just, I don't, but yeah, no. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a good film. I enjoyed it. Good thriller. Good. Mm. I'm glad that's good. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. Fantastic stuff. So shall we move into our top five? Five, four, three, two, one. Our top five. 
So our top five this week is top five romantic comedies. Um, uh, yeah, I think possibly it's quite an open genre. It has a lot of different sort of types of film within it uh, that you could argue are romantic comedies. So I think that we just, if we think it's a romantic comedy, then it gets to go in our list. Yeah. Yeah. But we didn't put any coming of age romantic comedies because no. we're, we're probably going to do uh, one of those another time. Yeah. Yeah. Because if not, it's going to be too difficult. <laughs> um, yeah. There's one of mine that the characters are quite young, but they're not in school. So I'd, I'd say it's not a coming of age film. Ah, uh, maybe, maybe it's the one I just put in. Possibly. Know. That's yeah. fine. It's all right for us to have crossover. So. My number five is um, the most recent film on my list. Uh, it's from 2019, directed by Nanachka Khan, and it stars Ali Wong and Randall Park, and it is Always Be My Maybe. I've got that one as well. Oh, have you? Yeah. <laughs> Good. Is it your number five? No, it's not my number oh, okay, five. Okay, fair enough. No, well, it's higher than that, because I think it's brilliant. It is brilliant. Um, it's a great, great film. Uh, Ali Wong and Randall Park play uh, characters who have been friends since they were children. And the yeah. film is, they were childhood sweethearts and then they sort of fell apart. And then the film is about them reconnecting later in life. And one of them, Ali Wong, has become a very successful, is she a chef, like a celebrity chef? Yeah, yeah. Um, so she's sort of become a famous celebrity chef and Randall Park has attempted to become uh, a famous musician but hasn't quite made it so he's working as a a kind of um, interior decorator kind of person in the film yeah I guess so Hmm. Um, and they reconnect at one point and the film is about kind of them you know, falling in in love again and, and reconnecting and discovering that that's what they want about each other. But what makes it stand out is um, Randall Park's character, is the, the scenes where he's playing in his band, they're actually quite good, I think. Yeah. Would you say? Yeah, like, definitely. I've, I think that there's a lot of fun music in this movie. I, I think that Randall Park really commits to his role as a musician in this film and the music they come up with is really quite fun. And then, I mean, really, the reason it's on my list is there is a sequence uh, around the middle of the movie where they go out to dinner and her Ali Wong's date for the evening is Keanu Reeves playing yeah. himself and yeah. in what has to be one of my absolute favourite Keanu Reeves' performances because he has absolutely no... um, What's the word? He has no qualms about making fun of himself at all. Yeah. Yeah, and he he is hilarious um, as a kind of absolutely manic take on the on the public persona of Keanu Reeves, and it's the absolute best. Uh, but the rest of the film is really really good. I really enjoy it. Uh, I've only watched it once, but I liked it a lot. And also, just in terms of representation, the fact it's about two, um, you know, Randall Park and Ali Wong are both of uh, Asian heritage. Ali Wong's parents, uh, Ali Wong's mother uh, immigrated from Vietnam and her father was a Chinese-American. 
I think Randall Park's heritage is Korean. Mm. Um, yeah. And it's just, you know, there's not that many big mainstream films, let alone romantic comedies, that star two characters with uh, Asian descent. So I think it's a positive thing in that respect and also just a really good, fun movie. So, yeah, I like yeah. Always Be My Baby. Yeah, I, 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 I really I really enjoy it. I, I love Ali Wong. I love her stand up and when I uh found out that she was making a film, I was so excited because she's got such interesting um comedian. she's such an interest like she's such a fun comedian and um I think is a really sweet film. It's like a comedy but also it's kind of like a little bit tragic and it's 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 at the end of Day is just really sweet of like two people um reconnecting and um yeah I, I loved it and I think yeah having Kanye Reeves in it and that's probably the best scene in in comedy in recent years of when he walks in the restaurant and there's that um song and it's just all in slow-mo is amazing um yeah no it's it's a good film I and that's why I put it in because it's just fun it's a good, good film. Good nice, choice. Good. Thank you. Uh, what's your number five? My number five. What did I put now? Because I had to change things around because I couldn't put I Love You Man because it's a buddy comedy. I would have called okay. it a bromance comedy, but, you know. Yeah, but um, we did. <laughs> okay. We'll do it one day. We'll do buddy comedies because, you know, there's lots of those. So my number Five is a 1999 uh, romantic comedy uh, starring uh, Drew Barrymore, uh, Jessica Alba, David Arquette, uh, Lily Sobieski, which uh, was she's a great actress. Um, and the film is called Never Been Kissed. Have you ever? Have you? No. Do you know the film? Um, <laughs> I know it. But yeah. I've only seen some of it because I was once on a school trip to France, no, to Belgium, to go to the World War I uh, memorial field in Belgium. And the coach had a VHS player on it and people brought videos to watch on the trip. Somebody put Never Been Kissed on and we watched it for about 15 minutes. And then the teacher said, this this is a Catholic school and this isn't appropriate. And they turned okay. it <laughs> Okay, uh, well, uh, the film is about uh, Josie Geller, who was played by uh, Drew Barrymore, and she's a uh, 25-year-old, and she's quite insecure, and she she works for um, a newspaper, and she's mm. never had a real relationship, in f okay, the fact, well, the the film is called Never Been Kissed. Um, yeah. Her boss one day assigns her to uh, go undercover in a school uh, to, um, you know, find out what um, the school is all about now. And uh, so she she's very excited because, you know, um, in a way uh, she was she was a bit of a. You know, not popular in school uh, when she actually went to high school. So she was excited to uh, be uh, become popular and to, to be an adult in high school because, you know, as adults, we imagine uh, how we would be now as adults in high school. And uh, it, it 
she quickly realizes that high school has not changed. <laughs> they're still mm. the jocks. They're still the popular kids. And uh, it's pretty much the same. And she is uh, kind of um, uh, still uh, not a popular person in high school. Mm. Uh, and, um, and so, uh, but she, I think she joins one of the like, unpopular clubs and she tries to uh, she goes back to her editor and talks about maybe uh, things that are not very interesting and then her brother who used to be a very popular guy uh, played by David Arquette um, joins the school as well and uh, he becomes super popular again and uh, he helps her to become more popular. But in the meantime, she falls in love with her English teacher and it's all bit complicated because he has feelings for her. He, But she's play, she's like a, a high schooler. And uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a good... Yeah, and then at the end, you know, everything goes well and she can get with her <laughs> English teacher. Uh, but it's it's a, it's a kind of a really funny, uh, silly, romantic comedy uh, of, um, you know, going back to school, thinking that you're going to be different, but you're still the same person. Um, she, uh, you know, finally finding... Uh, the love of a life and it's just the classic you know romantic comedy and you know i love drew barrymore she's great and uh it's a it's a it's a good film i wanted to put drew barrymore film because i think she's great in romantic comedies and uh yeah this was uh it never been kissed i love david arquette i think he's goofy and funny whenever he's in something you just go yeah it's david hi david um yeah and um yeah yeah, it's 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 one of those films that in reality, like, why does the school not know that there are two adults in it? Uh, <laughs> how do the teach teachers not know? Like, how can you go in a school undercover? But in romantic comedies, you can do anything you want. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. funny. If a twenty-five-year-old turned up at a school, it would be yeah. People would go. It, can you in leave? In a film please? like The Kissing Booth, it would be to- totally normal that twenty-five-year-old works walks in the school. <laughs> but oh, yeah. But yeah, and that's my number five, Never Been Kissed. Nice. Good choice. I like it. Well done. Um, it, that I, 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 always, I always connect it to that weird... It was a very... The teacher that turned it off on that school trip was uh, an odd teacher. Everyone thought they were a bit strange because uh, mm. it really wasn't very... It wasn't like a, an illicit no, movie of any not, at all. Like there is one kiss at the end. Yeah, it was, it was so weird when they turned it off. Uh, and then we watched The, the Matrix. Nice. That's 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 worse. I know, I know, right? Like we can watch The Matrix, which is full of violence. We can't watch Never Being Kissed. What a weird, strange. Anyway, um, so good. My number four is uh, a 2012 British romantic comedy film, uh, directed by Ben Wheatley. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, so his follow-up to Kill List. Um, and written by and starring Alice Lowe and Steve Aram. Uh, it is the film Sightseers. Oh. Mm. So it's a dark, I mean, it's a dark horror romantic comedy, um, as you might imagine, considering it's Ben Wheatley. Um, Alice Lowe is a, an, an amazing uh, British comedic actress. She made a film recently called Prevenge, which I've talked about on the podcast before, that I think is a, a masterpiece. 
And uh, I think this is the first film she wrote. Uh, she wrote it with Steve O'Ram. They play uh, Chris and Tina, a couple who uh, are quite a new couple. Tina is quite, um, what's the word, sheltered. She's not really done much in her life or seen much. She lives with her mother and uh, sort of lives at home. And uh, Chris is a caravan fan. And he takes Tina on holiday, much to the annoyance of Tina's mum, uh, on a caravan holiday around the north of England. And uh, on this holiday, uh, Tina discovers that Chris, if somebody is rude to him he, and he doesn't like them, he will just kill them. And uh, Tina, rather than finding this uh, awful, Tina kind of rather enjoys it. And uh, the film is them sort of uh, working their way across the north of England, dealing with rude people. There's a bit where a dog walker refuses to pick up his dog's uh, doings uh, in a field and Chris murders him. And Tina says, you've just killed a man. And he says, that's not a man. That's a Daily Mail reader. And uh, as soon as that happened in the film, I knew that I loved it. So, yeah, it's a good film. It's a weird film. It's I was kind of tried as much as possible to see if it was a romantic comedy or not and eventually I found a newspaper article that called it the most surreal romantic comedy of 2012 2012 <laughs> so I decided to uh, that it that merited it being on my list um so yeah it's just it's just very very funny very very weird Alice Lowe is so so good in it and the fact that she wrote it as well um along with Steve Aram who's really good in it as well it's just I mean, it's just, it's great and it's very kind of well-observed humour about um, small provincial northern English places and tourist places. Uh, like, they go to a pencil museum at one point um, and just strange little things like that. So, yeah, I really love it. I imagine you haven't seen it. No, no. But I guess I'm going to see it soon. Maybe, who knows. <laughs> Two Ben films. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that's uh, Sightseers. Ah, great. Nice. Mm. Cool. So what's your number four? Uh, my number four is a film called uh, 1994, uh, filmed uh, called Muriel's Wedding. Oh. Uh, this... Muriel's is this an uh, Australian film? Yeah, this is mm. an Australian film uh, starring Tony Collette. Mm. Um, I, I, I don't know Bill Hunter, but I know Rachel Griffiths. She's in Hollywood now. I think she's in... Um, she was in Six Feet to Under. Uh, yeah, and is... Uh, uh, it doesn't say romantic comedy anywhere. But on my letterbox, it does. So I'm going to put it as a romantic comedy. That's fine. Um, and it's, it's a story about uh, Muriel, uh, played by Tony Collette. And uh, the only thing that she wants to do is get married. But um, she... Uh, but she has got a very oppressive father and she's never really had any, um, you know, interaction with uh, men. And... Um, She's a bit socially awkward and uh, and she's got very, like, beautiful friends, uh, very Australian blonde friends. And Muriel has got this, like, red hair. She looks very different from anyone. In fact, she had to put on loads of weight for this film. 
and uh, uh, she uh, she steals money from her family to go to this um, uh, ho on this holiday, and she means she meets Rhonda, uh, played by Rachel Griffiths, and um, they they decide uh, to move from uh, the small town, uh, which I think I don't can't, what's it I, it's got a very strange it's not it doesn't it's not real town. Um, it's called um. Para para para. It's got a very interesting name, but I can't. A uh, porpoise spit. <laughs> so uh, she decides to leave a uh, porpoise spit, which is like this dead end town in the bush, uh, to mm. move uh, to uh, Sydney, and um, there uh, she gets uh, in. She changes her name and she starts having a little bit more of like you know uh, open fun with uh, men and then uh, she gets um, a deal of her life and she can finally get married um, I'm not going to say what the deal is because I think it's quite it's quite fun um, a bit, bit of a spoiler uh, but I, it's it's a really it's a very kind of dark comedy um, nice. Muriel is uh she's she's really unpopular she's a bit of a you know kissy i don't know she's not like her friends and uh it also tony collette doesn't look like the your classic australian actress does she and so she's perfect no. kind of for the part and uh uh she um uh she there's a lot of abba in this film she loves abba and nice. uh and apparently um, I read that uh, the director, uh, which is directed by PJ Hogan, which directed loads of romantic comedies um, like uh, Muro's Wedding, well, which I said, My Best Friend's Wedding, which I also love. That was uh, that's in my um, honorable mentions. Um, and another one, uh, The Confession of a Shopaholic with Isla Fisher. Oh, right. I've heard of yeah. that. Yeah. And uh, he was a co-writer in The Dressmaker. So he's kind of like, um, you know, a bit of a, a romantic comedy uh, person. And he wanted ABBA, uh, he want, really wanted the ABBA's music uh, into his film, but uh, they wouldn't allow, they wouldn't give him the rights. And so he, uh, he made a deal with ABBA that he, they would give him, um, he would give them, the the you know a, a percentage of the profits and this film was really successful and that's why they managed to make the ABBA musical. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. But it's 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 really fun and it's uh it's kind of a bit of tragic as well and uh, I I love it I think it's a is a amazing film but and um yeah it's uh it's very Australian. <laughs> yeah yeah and i didn't realize it was like that because the first time i watched it it was in italian and i fell in love with it straight away and i love tony collette i think she's an incredible amazing fantastic actress she and is so, uh, yeah and uh yeah and that's uh that's my number four muriel's wedding muriel's wedding nice choice well i haven't seen it but uh sounds like a good choice so yeah nice Okay, my number three is a 2011 romantic comedy film uh, directed by Glenn Ficarra and John Requa uh, and written by Dan Fogelman. It stars 
Steve Carell, Ryan Gosling, Julianne Moore, Emma Stone, Marissa Tomei, and Kevin Bacon, and it is Crazy Stupid Love. Of course I have it as well. <laughs> oh, like, the best film romantic comedies ever made. So, yeah, I've got it too. Good. Uh, I'm glad. Yeah, no, I love this. I remember the first time I watched this movie, because it doesn't have much of a... Like, it doesn't have a big following, does it? It doesn't get talked about loads. Does it not? Oh, okay. I don't think so. Uh, I mean, maybe it does, but I hadn't heard it talked about much, so I just watched it because I'd heard it was meant to be okay, but I didn't really know much about it, and I was just completely, like, swept up in it, and I thought it was one of the best things I'd ever seen. And I love it. I love it completely. I love this movie. Steve Carell and Julianne Moore play a married couple who separate at the start of the film, Mm. and um, Steve Carell kind of doesn't know how to move on necessarily yeah. in terms of like meeting other people uh he runs into ryan gosling in a bar who is a man um that is very very good at, at talking to women in bars and uh ryan gosling <laughs> takes him under his wing and tries to help him become uh a you know a modern dateable guy uh and separately you've got uh Emma Stone uh playing a, a girl who also meets ryan gosling in the bar and they kind of begin uh, something of a romance as well, uh, and uh, Julianne Moore and Kevin Bacon are in there, and the, yeah, the, it's one of those films that has like it doesn't just have it doesn't have any one story that it follows. It yeah. follows a few different threads, and then it kind of pulls them pulls them in various places at the end uh, to kind of link it all together. It's a good film, man. I really like it. I like uh, it so much. Yeah, it's a great it's, it's a great film. It is a great film. It's funny. It's got oh, really yeah. funny moments. It's got a bit... funny twist at the end that the first time yeah. you watch it, you do not expect at all. No, they do a great job of hiding that twist. They not... do a great job of hiding that. And if you haven't seen it, watch it because it's the, the it's an incredible romantic comedy. It's, yeah. it's a, so bit, good. There's a bit where Ryan Gosling throws Steve Carell's shoes off a balcony and it's exceptionally hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think the funniest moment for me is when at the end, after they find out the twist and everybody goes crazy and they the police arrives and four of them uh, that had just had a fight are on the... <laughs> they're just being talked to the police. And you see Ryan Gosling just having the best time of his life, just <laughs> laughing. And I just love it because, right, first of all, Ryan Gosling is amazing he can do anything and what yeah. seeing him in this i was just like you, you're just a hero you're amazing steve carell is great in it yeah. um uh, i think everybody and all the little stories that are around are great and i think they just make a really um good film yeah yeah definitely even the story yeah. of uh the son falling yeah. in love with his babysitter is yeah. um it's done really well and quite entertaining. And there's a bit early on where Steve Carell just like rolls himself out of a car while it's driving. That's yeah. all, like, there's just so many hilarious little moments in the yeah. movie. I, I love it so much. Yeah. And it shows how Steve Carell can be like the goofy, funny, you know, you know, from the office and anchorman, like crazy character or just a simple, funny comedic actor. Yeah. It just really... It's a really, really good, yeah. And the fact that also Ryan Gosling, you know, he's just so great. Yeah, that man, that man, that man. 
Good times. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm glad you've got it on your list as well. So, yeah, okay, so that's my number three, Crazy Stupid Love. What's your number three? Okay, my number three, I think you might have, have it as well because I, I had to shift stuff around and that was, was in my honourable mentions, but I put it on my list. And my okay. number three is uh uh 2000 and oh, 2010 uh film directed by Edgar Wright starring Michael Cera uh Mary Elizabeth Winstead uh Kieran Corkin and it's called Scott Pilgrim vs the World yes absolutely yeah. I've got it on my list yeah yeah so it was like going to be a love you man but this is it. Uh, yeah, and it's uh, Scott Pilgrim, played by uh, Marco Sierra, uh, is in a band and they want to be successful. Um, basically, is uh, Scott Pilgrim has to fight seven guys to get with Ramona, to be with her. And those yeah, that's, are the, that's her, the basic core plot of the film. Yeah. yeah, and he's a musician and he uh, has to... Uh, and he was do he wants to do this battle of the bands, and uh, yeah, and basically that's the plot. It's a great film. It's uh, it's just so much fun. It's got action. It's got uh, it's totally surreal because it's not uh, it's not like a romantic comedy as it would be. It's just like a, an it's called an action romantic comedy, and yeah. it's um, I love how it's filmed and the kind of there's it's kind of cartoonish. And about, I, I really like that about it. And in a way, um, the Mitchells vs. the Machines kind of reminded me a lot of Scott Pilgrim. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. How it is. And uh, and that's that's the re reason why I remember Scott Pilgrim, actually, from that film, because I thought there were some really uh, similar visual effects. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this film. And when, when I watched it, I was really into Michael Cera as an actor, not as a, but I just thought I, I liked the films that he was in. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so I think, uh, I think it's just a really fun, fun action comedy film. Yeah. Romantic film. Yeah. Definitely. I like how Edgar Wright directs it as if it's a live action video game in yeah. a way. Mm. Like there's constantly on screen graphics popping up and appearing all over the place. And, you know, thick video game logic is applied to a lot of different scenarios, particularly yeah. at the end when he like has an extra life to attempt <laughs> to fight the last evil X and stuff. Yeah, and it really yeah. works for the for the way the and it's based on a graphic novel which I haven't read, and the graphic novel might also be very video game influenced. I think it is, but you know, the the story is about him having to defeat seven bosses essentially. So having it structured like that kind of really makes it play as a as a video game homage, and it's kind of the best video game film, despite not actually being based on a yeah on a video game. Um, yeah. All of the, you know, as well as Michael Sarah and Mary Elizabeth Winstead, you've got people like Chris Evans turns up, Drayton Schwartzman's in there. Yeah. Um, a whole host of really, really fun young actors kind of turn up and, and, and just, yeah, it's, I love it. It's such a fun movie. The soundtrack's great. Beck, I think, did the score. It's got a really fun score to it. The music for the bands is really good. Um, Aubrey Plaza's in it, actually. Uh yeah. Oh, what's her An name? Anna Kendrick as well. Anna Kendrick's in it. Uh, Brie Larson is in it. It's yeah. It's like so many people are in this movie that went on to be huge. So uh, yeah, yeah. It's a good choice. I look. I like it as well. Yeah, that's my number three. Nice. Good. Okay. So uh, my number two 
1993 romantic comedy directed by Howard Ramis, and it stars Bill Murray and Andy McDowell, and it is Groundhog Day. Oh, great. <laughs> um, the story of a weatherman, Bill, uh, who is sent to Punxsutawney to cover the annual Groundhog Day festival, where a... Um, if the groundhog comes out of its uh, burrow and sees its shadow, it means that winter's going to last for another three weeks or something like that. It's kind of this little provincial festival. Um, Phil is a very uh, cynical guy who thinks it's a big waste of time and is kind of sick of having to report on it. Andy McDowell plays his producer who's with him to help him kind of do the little news piece that they're making. Uh, and he does it, he goes to bed, and he wakes up the next morning, and it's the same day all over again. And he is trapped in a time loop uh, where he has to relive Groundhog Day over and over again. And he doesn't know how to escape it. Um, uh, and through, you know, through it, it is a romantic comedy, so throughout the, uh, throughout the film, he falls for Andy McDowell's character and learns maybe through her how to love again and stop being such a cynical arsehole. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's a film I've watched, uh, you know, it's from 1993, so I saw it first when I was a kid, and I've just watched it over and over again throughout the years, and uh, I think it's pretty close to being a perfect film for me. I really, really love it. I know I love Bill Murray, and I think it's, you know, one of his funniest roles. He's he's very, very good at playing this kind of cynical, sarcastic guy, and um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a good one. Have you seen it, Alex? Yeah. What do you think of Yeah, it's Day? a good film. It's a, it's a very it's a very good film. Yeah. It's a classic. I I, I wasn't Yeah, yeah, I guess it is a yeah, cuz they fall in love. So, yeah, no, it's fun. Bill Murray at his best. And McDowell, yeah. the queen of uh, romantic comedies. Yeah, um, she really is. She's not one of my really, favorite actresses, but she she's she's good, you know. She does yeah. her job in it. Yeah, yeah, cuz yeah, because she was in Four Weddings and a Funeral as well. And yeah, she was, yeah. Like, green card. Like, she was the kind of... She was very good at uh, doing her romantic comedy things. But, yeah, no, it's, it's a good film. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So, yeah, no, uh, there's Groundhog Day. I like it a lot. Um, What's your number two? My number two is... So, we already spoke about my, my number two and my number one. My number two is Always Be My Maybe. Nice. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic film. Uh, it's fun. It's good. It's funny. And uh, yeah. What's your number one? Well, my number one is Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Ah, oh, yes. Yeah, which is a film that I adore and completely love. And uh, yeah. you, you agree that it's great. So yeah, yeah. I like it. Good times. And, and your number one is? Crazy Stupid Love. Wow. So what made what makes Crazy Stupid Love the absolute top for you? It's just it's just the fact that it's just like I said before how can a romantic comedy have such an interesting twist and be really funny in a really genuine way Yeah the cast actually seemed to have a good time filming it and it um it's it's just fun and Emma Stone is in it Ryan Gosling is in it. I don't know. It's just a good film. I just think I've seen it over and over and I still think it's great. Like, I don't get tired of it. It's a beautiful film. It's a beautiful romantic comedy. 
I think that's the romantic comedy. Uh, yeah, I'd say it's because there's so many com- romantic comedies, and you know, I was I was thinking oh, I should put Julia Roberts in, but I don't like. For example, when I watched Pretty Woman for the first time, I thought, oh, that's a great film. But thinking about it now, I was like, oh, well, you know, there are some not really, <laughs> you know, it's not the greatest film. Um, and Julia Roberts was the queen of romantic comedies. And you can, like, talk about, and I've got loads of her films on my honorable mention. But I think this is, I think this is just the romantic comedy is really good. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Okay, uh, let's run down our lists again then. So yeah. my my list was number five, Always Be My Maybe. Number four, Sightseers. Number three, Crazy Stupid Love. Number two, Groundhog Day. And number one, Scott Pilgrim versus The World. Very um, good. Yeah. What was your list? Um, my number five is Never Been Kissed. My number four, Muriel's Wedding. My number three, uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. My number two, Always Be My Maybe. And number one, Crazy Stupid Love. Nice. Good time. Okay. So, uh, I've got some honourable mentions to talk about, briefly. Um, I've got Lost in Translation, the which I like more than you, but I... <laughs> How is that just a laughing comedy? at your face on the on your thing. How is that um, a comedy? Sorry, that's definitely not a com- There's nothing funny about that film. I find parts of it funny, but I didn't put it in my list because I don't think it is primarily. I think it's a drama foremost, and then there's funny mm. parts to it because Bill Murray just is funny in some of his line readings. And stuff. Yeah, it's got a funny. Face. Um, what? He's got a funny face. He does have a funny face. Um, I didn't like it the first time I watched it. And it took me a few years, actually. And then I think the first time I really connected with it was watching it after having... I think I, I think after being in Japan for about three months, I watched it on my own. And that was the first time I really sort of liked it, connected with it. So I do like it, but it's not one of my favourites. Uh, Shaun of the Dead, uh, which is would have been on my list, but I kind of went for Scott Pilgrim and I didn't want to have two Edgar Wright movies on there. So, uh, But I do love Shaun of the Dead. Uh, Happiest Season. Palm Springs, Man Up, which is a, a pretty good uh, Simon Pegg romantic comedy, which uh, maybe is one of the less well-known films. People should check that out. She's Out of My League is a surprisingly fun film. Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind. Uh, is that a romantic comedy? That's not a comedy? romantic com- No, there's nothing it- comedic about that film. Oh, it is. It's funny. In parts. Jim Carrey's in it. No, I, I, I cried more than I laughed in that film. Maybe, but I think there are funny bits in it. But again, it's it's not not a pure romantic comedy. So it's not in my list. It's in my honourable mentions, which can be more flexible. Stop doing that. I guess so. (laughs) Um, The Girl Next Door, which I talked about on a recent episode. Uh, I like that a lot. Uh, When Harry Met Sally is one of those iconic, you know, ones. I I, I think it's, you know, it's good. Moonstruck, which I didn't put on my list because we've talked Moonstruck to death. (laughs) But it is an incredible film. Uh, And that's a romantic comedy, right? Yeah, definitely a romantic comedy, yeah. Uh, and Fifty First Dates, the only Adam Sandler yeah. movie, really, that you'll find me um, defending. Uh, out of his, like, straight comedies, Uncut Gems and... Uh, what's, what's the other one? Punch Drunk Love are both great, but they're not really Adam Sandler. Films. And then uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, which is uh, yeah. a great film. That's it for Good my... choices. Thank you. Uh, mine are Friends with Benefits. 
uh, with Mila Kunis and Justin Timberlake. Nice. Um, uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall, 51st Dates, uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, uh, America's Sweetheart, um, Amelie, uh, Emma, the 2021, not the oh, first okay. one. Yeah. Uh, Palm Springs, Mamma Mia, uh, My Best Friend's Wedding, and uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral. Nice. Good, yeah. strong, solid list. So, uh, homework. What should... Who's setting homework first, then? It would be... You. Me? Mm-hmm. Setting you homework? Yeah. yeah? Cool. So, um, I... Sightseers is the only one you haven't seen. Yeah. So, uh, Sightseers, please? Yeah, okay. Great. <laughs> and uh, I think... Uh, you should watch probably uh, just to look, watch something different and uh, with Tony Collette, probably Muriel's Wedding. Okay, cool. Yeah, I will check out Muriel's Wedding. I've never seen it, and I love Tony Collette. So, uh, yeah, yeah, you're be good. you're gonna. I don't, I don't know. I I I I'm. Uh, I don't know what you're gonna think of it, but you might enjoy it, or you might really hate it. I'm sure. I, I mean, I really like ABBA and I really like Tony Collette, so I can't see much chance of not liking it. I'm sure I like it. Cool, man. Cool. So if I was going to choose one thing to recommend people check out from this week's Culture Catch-Up, uh, there was some brilliant stuff this week that I checked out, like Mitchell's vs. Machines and Resident Evil 8. But I'd say Bright Greenfield, the debut album by Squid, is the one thing that I hope people uh, give a go to. Um, after they've listened to this episode. So yeah, Bright Greensfield by Squid. It's incredible. Please have give it a go. How about you, Alex? Uh definitely I would uh, recommend uh Mitchell's Against the Machines. I think is a good film. If you are not uh convinced uh by the trailer, I think is a good film to watch. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, thank you for listening everyone to this episode. As always, it's been a pleasure to have you with us. Um, next week we're going to try something slightly different. We're hoping to start uh, doing this once a month, picking uh, something uh, of significance, a significant release of some form, and giving it a slightly longer form discussion. So next week, join us for what will be a deep dive into the 2021 Best Picture Oscar winner, Nomadland, uh, starring Francis McDormand and Chloe Zhao. Uh, we'll be talking at length uh, about that movie and uh, how we felt about it. Um, It's available, I think, in most places on Disney Plus now under the star banner. So um, watch it, give it a go before next week's episode so that you can uh, listen without fear of spoilers. Not that it's a particularly spoilable film. Mm. But uh, yeah, please join us for that one. And um, it's something a little bit different. It's a bit of an experiment, so please do... Let us know what you think of it. Uh, as always, you can find links to our email address and all of our social media channels in the show notes for this episode, along with links to everything we discussed in Culture Catch-Up and MyTube. And um, yeah, please follow us, tweet at us, uh, Instagram us, talk to us, email us, send us your, 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 your stuff. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. And um, yeah, thank you very much. It's been it's been great. Love you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.